0: thing. So, uh, but the idea is to do just a three-part uh, series starting next week, next Tuesday at 6, where it'll just be t- 10 to 20 minutes of just reading the Bible and answering questions and just, I mean, I guess you could call it a Bible study, but it's really more just the, the hope is to promote even more of a love of God's Word, um, more of a grounding in God's Word. You know, God, His Word, there's, there's something about getting it deep down into your heart you know more than just a surface level um, knowledge of it, if you will. You know, there's something about you know you. It's like I've I've heard this heard this verse over and over and over again, and it took that long to get it just down in here to where I know know it. You know, um, but uh, yeah, it's just it'll just be a three part thing, and I'm calling it I'm calling it vlogatos because I I think it's funny. You know, it's uh, but it's amalgamation of, of, of vlog which is video log and veritas which is the Latin word for truth so vlogitas. <laughs> anyway. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start like I said this coming Tuesday at six and I'm gonna start and we're gonna go through first and second Timothy. So that's nine chapters and my plan is to do three chapters a session. And uh, if you want to read ahead, which I know we have some people here who like to read ahead and if you have questions you can feel free to send those to me. And, uh, you know, we can address those as we go through, and you can do it anonymously if you want, you know, if, you know, you don't have to say your name, and I, if you give your name, I'll probably say, you know, so-and-so had this question, but if not, it's not a big deal. And the idea is to get it as, as uh, uh, interactive as possible, so I'm going to go ahead and use the Facebook group that we have, the Wednesday Night Facebook group. So if you're on Facebook, uh, please join us if you if you uh, so, so wish to, and uh, it'll be, you know, it, it, because it's... Go, streaming live, you can ask questions while we're going or make comments or whatever. It's try, trying to be interactive, but it's uh, online thing. So, we all good with that? So, Vlogitas, this Tuesday, 6. This Tuesday. Yes. And all you guys online, I know you use online, so. <laughs> I don't take attendance, you're okay. Okay, so let's go ahead and open our Bibles over to Matthew chapter 19, or, ni- I mean, excuse me, 9. Matthew 9. The title of today's message is "Out of Grace Works." Out of Grace Works. As you know, uh, salvation and personal evangelism has been on my heart. Uh, you know, we've we've kind of been talking about that quite a bit, and uh, I kind of wondered, you know, why you know why is this on my heart so so strongly? And the other day I was talking to a couple of local pastors and they shared with me that also on their heart has been salvation and personal evangelism. So they've been teaching on it. And uh, that caught my attention because speaking as someone who grew up in church, I will tell you that those two subjects have not been the popular message. I mean, they're always there, but they haven't been at the foreground, if you will, at least where I've been. And... uh, you know, I believe then that what God is doing is mobilizing His people to go out into the harvest, as Jesus put it. You know, because people have been praying for revival for decades. Well, revival comes through the church. So, you know, for all those out there who have been praying for revival and hoping that God would do all the work, well, the Holy Spirit's going to burst their bubble because you know, we're the ones who go out and harvest. Remember, we read before Jesus said, pray that the Father, pray to the Father, send laborers out into the harvest. That word send in the Greek actually means to eject. Is it like an ejection seat? Like, we're going to eject workers into the harvest because we know they don't necessarily want to go. Okay? You know, that's, that's the idea. So, I'm encouraged when I hear that other ministers are teaching on salvation and sharing our faith in Jesus. Because with a good, or without a good, understanding of those things, there's no point to anything we do here. No no point at all, really. Without salvation, Jesus' sacrifice was for nothing. Without sharing our faith, there's no great commission. So then why are we here? You know? And uh, what is on my heart for today is just two simple points I want to make about salvation. Because the better you understand your own salvation the more effective you will be at sharing your faith with Jesus, or your faith of Je- in Jesus with people. Which is what personal evangelism is. That's, that's all that, those, that fancy term means. So, you know, if you understand something well, you can explain it well. Right? Here in Matthew, Jesus explains what his desire is about salvation and repentance. A lot of people don't really look at it from this angle. But look at Matthew 9, look down at verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? If you read that verse out of the NLT, they say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Tax collectors were considered traitors by the Jewish people. You know. So it says in verse 12, When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So notice that Jesus calls people to repentance. You may may know that to repent means to change your mind about the direction you're going and change direction, go back the right way. If you think about it, when Jesus called Matthew from his tax collector's booth, he was calling him to repentance. Matthew understood that to follow Jesus was to leave everything behind, his career, his priorities, and his lifestyle, everything. Jesus had a traveling ministry. So in a natural sense, Matthew was being called to live a new life. And, and, you know, I think it's funny, in talking about sin and living wrong, I've heard people say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. You know. And they're, they're kind of implying that because Jesus was there hanging out, that he was okay with their lifestyle. And it looks like that's what the Pharisees thought, too. Why, why is your teacher, why is he eating with these people? You know. But Jesus made it clear why he was there. He said, I came to call these sinners to repentance. I'm calling them out of this lifestyle and into a new life with me. Right? So Jesus is interested in getting people to give up what they think is important and make what Jesus thinks important. Make Jesus himself the most important thing. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, me and Tammy, you know, we watch these shows, and they have this show called The Repair Shop, that they repair, like, these old antiques that people bring in, and, uh, and it's, it's in England, and so they have, they have all these weird expressions, you know, that are that we're like, what does that mean? But, you know, they, they have this thing, that, this, this cur- recurring theme that comes up that they say, oh, well, they say, well, after we fix this for you, what are you going to do with it? And they say, oh, it'll have pride of place in the house. In other words, we want this to be the first thing that people see when they walk into our house. Jesus wants pride of place then, if you will, in your life. You know, earlier we were singing, you know, rivers of living water pouring out from Papa's throne. Well, the Bible says that God's temple is, the, is your body. Your holy, the Holy Spirit, he, he resides in you. Because if you go and you look in Revelation, it talks about the, the river of life that flows out from God's throne. Well, Jesus said, "Anyone who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." And then it said, "This he spake of the Holy Spirit." Okay, so the Holy Spirit is that those rivers of living water. Well, then now, if your temple or your body is His temple, that's why He then because He that river of life flows out from God's throne. Well, if your heart is where God has His throne, do you see what I'm saying? If if he, is, if he takes pride of place or first place in your life, then that's why those rivers of living water flow out. It's powerful. <clears throat> and so, yeah, Jesus is interested in getting people to give up their priorities or rearrange their priorities and say, you know, I, you know, make me first. See, first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And you notice that Jesus does that not only with the tax collectors and the sinners that are there, because he said, I'm here to call these people to repentance. But he did it with the Pharisees, too. When he told them, he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's implying that they've got their priorities out of of whack. Go reprioritize your life. Okay? Because the Pharisees, to, to them being okay with God meant making sure that they had made all the sacrifices and the burnt offerings at the right time and all of that. They had observed all of the, the laws of Moses. It, the, the, so to them, Jews that didn't do that were sinners and, and therefore not worth their time. You know, you know this, these, these people are not worth our time. It kind of, you know, they, the, to them it was like, if I'm around these kind of people, if I'm around people who don't care to make sure that they've got all of their their sacrifices in order, then then I, I'll be contaminated, if you will. You know, it's like a contamination thing. But Jesus wanted them to show mercy. Okay. Because mercy is better than sacrifice. And, and, you know, at the, at the start of this, I mentioned that I wanted to make two main points. I haven't made them yet, but I'm about to make the first one now because I uh, recently heard a minister teach on this passage that we just read from a point of view that I had never seen before. And she said, when a person does something wrong, God would rather show them mercy than have them try to appease him with a sacrifice. So it's a two-way street. It's not just about us showing people mercy. And then seeing about whatever sacrifice we want to give to God. But it's about God when we mess up, He wants to show us mercy rather than have us try to make it right with it. Make it right with Him by doing something for Him. So He said, I desire mercy. I want to show you mercy. Okay. God is not I mean, I guess from a, from a natural standpoint, we're raised that way. You know, we we think uh, you know we're taught as we grow up that if I wrong someone I have to do something to make it right with them you know I got to make it up to them but God's not interested in that he doesn't want penance and you know, he doesn't want us grovelling and oh I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry see because think about the uh, the story of the prodigal son you know you remember it the, you know if you know the story the, the father this father had two sons the one son said, "Hey, I want my inheritance now split you know have it." have it split with me and my brother and he took everything and he left he left the presence of his father and he's wanted all this money on wild living and then he's so destitute that he's eating uh he took work with a a local pig farmer and he's eating the the pods of the the, the, fed the pigs and it says he came to himself all of a sudden he's like wait a minute why am i doing this my father my father's servants have more have more than enough bread so he decides Remember, in the story, he decides, I'm gonna, he comes up with this speech. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell my father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant so at least I'll have bread. And he goes back, and the father sees him, and he runs and hugs him, and, and he, tries, he tries to start his speech, okay because I'm talking about penance here. People try to make it, make, make it right with God by working or doing something. So, so he tries to make his speech, and the father interrupts him. He says, "I'm not worthy to be your son." And the father interrupts him and says, "This son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, put a robe. Kill the fat calf. Let's have a celebration. There was no time of um, the father did not expect any mourning period to grovel. It was you're back. You're alive again. Let's celebrate together because you're alive." Okay, this is God's heart. I desire mercy. Alright. So then, we get in our own way when we try to make it right with God on our own. Can't do that. Actually, what that does is it stops him from being able to show the mercy he wants to show. You know, he desires to show mercy, but if we, we don't go to him and repent, that's what, because Jesus called people to repentance then we can't get the mercy he wants to give us because we're trying to do it on our own. One of the most common arguments we hear from people nowadays is how can a loving God send people to hell? We talked about the answer. It's God's planet. So then any harm that we cause to the things and the people he created, we owe him a debt. And the debt is too high for us to pay. That's why, you know, that's why people end up in hell, because if they reject the offer of salvation through Jesus, Jesus paid the price. If we don't accept his payment for our price, we have to pay it ourselves and then we end up in hell. We don't want that, right? That's not something that we want. I read a Christian author one time who wrote, the saddest thing that happens in this world is when a person decides to reject Jesus and pay their debt to God on their own. It's sad because the only way to pay that debt is hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. I had a friend one time that was shocked. I told him that. He's Actually, he's still one of my best friends, but you know he didn't know a lot about the Bible. And we we were talking, I said, you know, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. I said, God doesn't want you to go to hell. And he's like, really? I'm like, no. No, not at all. So then this is also why because Jesus was sent to die in our place, this is also why after we repent, we, t- we, we continue along that line of going in that direction that God calls for by not doing anything that God calls sin. People will, out in the world will tell you nowadays, oh, well, the Bible's antiquated. We can redefine what is right and wrong, but not according to God, not according to His word. And so now, as I get ready to turn this over to the second point, because that was the first point, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God wants to show mercy. He doesn't want us to try to offer him a sacrifice of our own making. So this here, let's turn over to Romans chapter 11, where Matthew, it's a few books forward, four or five books forward from here. Romans. And this over here is where people have let, been led astray by some false doctrine, so it's good to go over our foundations in Christ so that we're not easily moved. So we're in Romans 11. Look down here with me at verse 22. This is one of those verses that, uh, that I tend to gloss over as I'm just kind of reading through, you know, but it's uh, so important. Verse 22, it says, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness. So there's a qualifier there. Because it says then, otherwise you also will be cut off. So keep in mind when people ask you about how, a, how can a loving God send people to hell. That the Bible itself here affirms that God is both kind and severe. Uh, how, whether wh- what part of, hi- of him that we experience is dependent on what we do with Jesus? People who accept Jesus, because those who fell, that's the severity. Well, if they're not going to, all mankind has fallen. But those who have accepted Christ, God raises back up. So then this this idea of the people who are fell, they stay they stay fallen because they don't accept Christ, and that's why God is severe to them. To the ones who accept Christ, He's good. Okay. So, there's, there's a talking point for you. Well, how can, a, how can a good God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't want to send you to hell. And let me tell you how. You can keep out of hell. The point is, is that there's no other place to go for people who don't accept Christ. So, uh, it's, again, how people react to Jesus that determines whether they experience God's kind side or his severe side. And this verse does away with that once-saved-always-saved doctrine, by the way. It's been around forever. Because it said we'll be cut off from God's goodness unless we remain in His goodness. Right? Okay. There's a grace period, if you will, that is in effect for a saved person, where if they mess up, they're still saved. They're still covered by grace. So that if they return and confess their sins to God, they won't be cut off from His goodness. 1 John 1.9. If, you, if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's key. Okay? And I'll mention some more about that later. But the warning here in this verse is that if people continue in their sin without returning to God, talking about Christians now, they can, if they continue in whatever sin that they're doing, whatever lifestyle of sin that they're doing, without re- repenting, and turning away from that, there comes a point. See, there's there's this grace period, but there comes a point where they eventually will be cut off from God's salvation, which is a scary thought. Growing up in church, I talked to people to many people who had a concern here with this because of guilt. Okay, because of guilt they're feeling. They're they're afraid. You know, they have they've said they're sorry. They've asked God for repentance or, or asked Him for forgiveness. But if they're still feeling guilt. See, First 1 John 1, 1.9 doesn't say that it'll produce a feeling. It just says that if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful to forgive us. It's about his faithfulness. It's not about my feelings. Oh, I don't feel forgiven. Well, if I believe that he forgave me, whether I feel forgiven or not, I'm forgiven because he's faithful. Amen? It's good news. It's good news. But because of guilt, people are feeling, Christians, again, are feeling for sins they've done. They're worried that their salvation is at stake. Because God doesn't tell us where that line is, that cutoff line. You know, he doesn't say this is, this is exactly how much sin that a person can continue in before they're cut off. And, and, you know, because we know that no one's perfect and everyone makes mistakes, it's so easy to get trapped into worrying about, oh, I I told a lie today. I stole something again. But the thing is, is that God purposely did not tell us where that cutoff line is because he knows that many people would accept Jesus in word only and then they'd be living right up against that line. Come on. Trying to get away with as much as they can. Trying to live the way that they want to live. All right? But God's not interested in people punching a time clock with him. He's not interested in people who want to do a bare minimum in order just to get into heaven. He wants a living relationship with people. He wants to be involved in the tiniest details of our lives. Word actually says that in Psalms. God is is interested in the tiniest detail of your life. So instead of telling us how much sin we can get away with, he gives us a starting point to stay close to. Turn back one chapter to chapter 10. We're still in Romans 11. How are we all doing with this? Salvation is a good thing. Chapter 10. Look at verse 9 here. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. There's that word again. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So this this here is what... You did the moment you were saved. I can say that because this is what's required to be saved. So if you're saved, this is what you did the moment that you got saved. All right? And if you hear me now and you're not sure if you're saved and you want to be saved, just do what the verse said. Say out loud that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead. I usually tell people I don't usually do an altar call because I want people to make it personal between them and God you tell people you should see the look on people's faces people will come down and I'm like okay now you ask him they come down for prayer and I'm like now you ask God and they get you want what you want me well I don't know what to say well just, just be honest with him I've seen people break down into tears because it's, it's relational God wants a relationship not that we won't pray for people we do but I'm just saying sometimes I just kind of why don't you say why don't you pray now So, if you do that then, you say out loud that Jesus is your Lord, believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead. If you do that, you are now in Christ, you are saved. You're righteous. God calls you righteous. I don't feel righteous, doesn't matter, God called you righteous. This is the starting point of the newness of life that God offers. And later the word says, hold fast the confession of your faith. It's saying that Jesus is Lord is the first true confession of faith that you make. So if you keep this belief burning close to your heart, you won't want to follow the old life to sin. You know, so you won't need to worry about getting to that close to that cutoff line of being cut off from God by continuing in sin because you'll be living to please God. people, I don't worry about trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I just live to please God and when an opportunity to sin presents itself, it's like, no. That would not please my Father. That's a totally different way of looking at it. Because if I'm trying to keep from sinning in my own strength, I'm going to fail every time. And I'm emphasizing this because there are people all over the world living to please themselves. They don't know any better. Well, a lot of them. Some of them do, probably. And, you know, they justify that by doing things, doing works to try to earn their way into God's good graces or earn their way into heaven. Over and over again, I've heard people say when asked if they believe they'll go to heaven when they die, they'll say, well, I'm basically a good person. How many of y'all heard this? I'm basically a good person. I never killed anyone or anything. You know, so I believe I'll go to heaven. And, you know, without saying it, what they're saying is that they believe they're good enough in and of themselves to get to heaven. They are relying on their own right standing, their own righteousness. The Bible teaches there are two kinds of righteousness. God's righteousness and man's righteousness. And Isaiah 64, 6, the word says that our righteousness, man's righteousness, is as filthy rags to God. That's why Jesus had to die in our place. I know that you all know this, but we're just going over some important things here. When we accept Jesus, then we rely on his righteousness to get to God. No longer relying on my own righteousness, I'm relying on his righteousness. There's no work or deed mankind can do to make themselves righteous in God's eyes. You could say that there is no work by ourselves that we can do unto salvation. I mean a work, an act, a deed, a deed. There's nothing that I can do to that, that would be for me unto salvation. That once I've done this, God can say, okay, you're saved now because you went and did this. You went and taught blind, blind kids in Africa, or you went to Mongolia and brought a whole lot of food to people. That doesn't that, that's not unto salvation. It's not a work unto salvation. It's a good work. But it's not a work unto salvation. Again, verse 10 there said, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And you might say, believe what? What am I believing unto righteousness? What exactly am I believing? Belief is a choice, so what am I believing? That's a good question to ask. And I'm so glad you asked it. Turn with me over from here to John, chapter 9, I mean 6. Wow, I'm all over the place with my stuff. John 6, if you would. girls so just a couple just uh, look down at uh, verse, let's see, where am I, verse 24 in chapter 6 now this is interesting, this is right after Jesus had fed the 5,000 you know, miraculously with the loaves and the fish okay, and he moved on he got into a boat and he moved on from there to go do other things, and so the people that he fed got hungry again and they decide they're going to track him down hoping that he'll feed them again all right. Really, what they want is the provision without the relationship. Okay? So look here at verse 24 with me. It says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. Now, this is, it's, people, you see this all the time. Someone would make some statement to Jesus, and Jesus would just cut right to the heart of the issue. You're here because of this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. He just cuts, there's no small talk with him. He just goes right, right for it, you know. I love it. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, (laughs) it looks like, (laughs) to me, when they find out that Jesus is not going to feed him again, they want him to enable them to make miraculous loaves of their own. We want to make bread too. Show us how to do it. That's what it looks like to me. Okay, Maybe not, but either way, Notice that they wanted to do works. We want to work the works of God. Now Jesus says something earth-shattering in the next verse. Verse: 29. Jesus answered and said to them, "This is the work of God, that you believe, that you believe in Him whom He sent." Remember what that verse said in Romans 10 with the heart one? believes unto righteousness. How can Jesus equate believing with working? You have to understand that the Jewish way of thinking at the time was that in order to prove that you believed something, you had to live out that belief. In other words, Jesus was saying, prove by the way that you live that you believe in me. Live like I live, say what I say, do what I do. Follow me. I, you know, I told that story a long time ago. Where some co coworkers of mine, I was working in a, on a on a freight team. We were working on a uh, conveyor belt and and you know pushing merchandise. And I was getting ready to. I was putting the shoes out, getting them ready to, to take out to the floor. And there was a Christian lady that I worked with, and she was talking to a, a lady who. I didn't go to church, and uh, the Christian lady I had a lot of respect for, she was a, a widow, she was really strong in, in her faith, and, and they both turned to me and they said, Phil, we have a, a question for you, and I'm like, oh, okay, go, go ahead, you know, I'm just a, I think I was like 19 or something, you know, so I'm like, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor at that time, I'm not, I'm just a guy that reads the word and goes to church, you know, and they said, what well, is a Christian? What? Huh? No one asked that, what is a Christian? And I'm like standing there kind of sputtering like, I don't know. I'm like, I have no idea. And all of a sudden in my heart, the Holy Spirit said, a Christian is a follower of Christ. Someone who follows Christ, who does what Christ does. I follow him. But I just said, well, a Christian's a follower of Christ. And they both were, oh, wow. And you know, it made me feel really smart, but it wasn't me that came up with that. It's God. It's God told me that. But you see... Following Jesus, you know, you, you look in the Amplified Bible when he said, follow me, repent, follow me. The, in, in brackets, it says, change your inner self. Change everything about yourself. Follow Christ. Make him what you're all about. That means that means setting aside a lot of things. Not doing a lot of things anymore. And then, I mean, you know, as you move on in, in your, your Christian walk, you know, you, God starts to tell you more things to lay down, things that aren't even necessarily sinful. I had a minister one time God told him to stop golfing and he's like, you want me to what? Golf is not a sin, but but God said I want you to lay it down for me. Okay. Well, anything that I lay down then I get closer to him. And that's what we call consecration in here. Anyway, we won't get into that, but believing on Jesus then is the only work unto salvation. People who belong to Jesus, or who don't belong to Jesus, I mean, people who don't belong to Jesus, they can do good works all day long, every day until the day that they die, and it means nothing to God. Nothing. He doesn't count those works at all. But see, once the work of believing on Jesus is done, because that, that's the only work to salvation. Think of that as the entry point. That's the, that's the, that's you, you come through the door now. And then, once that work is done, that makes any other good work that you do acceptable to God. You see what I'm getting at? But those works are not, they're not unto salvation. Doing good works after that does not keep me saved. What keeps me saved is a, is, is continuing with Jesus and, and abstaining from doing anything he says is evil. But any works that I do then, they, 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 become, um, they become an offering to God. That's when you get over into sacrifice, an offering to God, a sacrifice. You know, I mean, I'd like to use that example, you buy somebody's groceries, tell them Jesus loves them. That's a sacrifice, because I've given of something that was mine, I've given it away. See, then comes, see, mercy first from God, then sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But sacrifice is still acceptable to God. Doing good, there's nothing wrong with doing good works for God. Preaching His Word, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, feeding the poor, partnering with the local church. And there are others, other good works too, the Word talks about. But none of those works are unto salvation. That's the, that's the Second point. Are we okay with that? They're offerings. They're sacrifices. Remember back where we started today with what Jesus told the Pharisees? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So there's an order. There's a priority. There's nothing wrong with sacrifice, but it can't go before God's mercy. God's mercy comes through Jesus alone. See, God's mercy first, and that comes through Jesus We're saved by grace. That's why I called this message, Out of Grace, works. Works doesn't go before grace. Because it's only after accepting Jesus and becoming saved that the work that we do counts for something with God. Remember, Jesus said, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. That's good works. Amen. Do you feel like you're a little better equipped for the call in your life now? Maybe. Do we have any questions? (laughs) Consec- <laughs> Consecration is a setting apart unto a special purpose. So is sanctification, but it's, it, it, it looks to me from my studying the word that sanctification is more on God's side, is the God's side of it. Consecration is the man's side of it. But anytime I lay down something for God at his direction that is not something we would consider sin, like he says, hey, I want you to, I want you to stop eating cake every night. Okay, I can do that. So, I've given something up for him so that I can be closer to him. That's consecration. Make, does that make sense? Oh, totally. Okay. Maybe someday we'll talk about that. That's where you get into talking about fasting and things of that nature. All right. That's all I have today. You okay? You guys have got five extra minutes you can, you can spend at lunch today or whatever you're going to do. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much for throwing me a lifeline when you didn't have to. I thank you, Lord, and I pray that you bless everyone here, uh, that anyone here that needs healing for their body, Lord, that they, that they have healing, Lord, that they have a blessing for their finances, uh, roof over their head, food to eat, Lord, a, a job or some type of uh, work that they can put their hand to. I thank you, Lord, for divine appointments. Thank you for signs, wonders, and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit working through us. And I thank you, Lord, and praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. You're all dismissed. If you need prayer, track us down. Vamos, right?